A lot of people are afraid of crime in New York City, afraid that there's no such thing as a safe neighborhood anymore. It's the mid-70s in New York City. Graffiti-covered subway cars rattle through wormholes beneath the streets. New Yorkers saw one result of the city's tight new budget when garbage began to pile up in the streets. The city is bankrupt, and drugs and violence are destroying people's lives. I'm petrified. I'm, I'm afraid to be alone on the street. And then there's the music scene downtown. Bars with sticky floors like CBGB's and Max's Kansas City explode with sweat and filth and energy. Can you hear the vocals or The birthplace of many a rock legend. And also this guy. Everybody thinks I'm going to die before I'm 30, you know? Billy Balls, dead set on making a name for himself. And that's the truth! Billy had a girlfriend named Rebecca. She was bleached blonde in a bombshell. You think I'm pretty, huh? You think I'm pretty? Sugar, I'm one of the few knots you'll meet, man. She took no shit from anyone. Rebecca and Billy were crazy about each other, living in a converted storefront in the East Village. Then, one night, in the summer of 1982, Rebecca came home to find their front window blown out and cops everywhere. My baby boy. Billy had been shot. My Neighbors said the guy who did it, they'd never seen him before. A mystery man in a cowboy hat. I love you so much, baby. Billy died. His body was sent to a city cemetery, buried in a mass grave. Rebecca never had a chance to say goodbye, and she never got any answers about why Billy was murdered. I'd like to meet you again, baby. (laughs) As the years went by, the injustice and unanswered questions turned to an addiction and explosions of rage that would nearly tear her life apart. Now, almost 40 years after Billy was killed, it's time to get Rebecca some answers. From Crime Town, I'm Io Tillett Wright, and this is The Ballad of Billy Balls. Out of nowhere, you know, one of our best friends was all of a sudden murdered and dead. was dead. And it seemed really suspicious. It seemed more like an execution to me. It was fishy from the start. They were coming in to raid for, I think, drugs. You know, he was accused of ripping somebody off. I don't know. It was some political thing. And I don't know if it it was terrorists. Some bigger piece is missing here. And I think it lies in what the fuck was Billy up to. Chapter 1, Billy Balls and His Baby Girl, 
Alrighty. I think we are good to go. Alright. Alright, I'm gonna follow you. On a mild day in December... Feels like it warmed up a little bit. Yeah. My producer, Austin, and I head off to meet Billy's girlfriend, Rebecca, at her apartment. She still lives in the East Village. All right, we're on 3rd Street between 2nd Ave and the Bowery. This was a gas station. It's now the Bowery Hotel. Things have changed here. Hi. Hi. Rebecca has not. How about a little light? Yeah. Yeah, what you can't see is that she just turned on a lamp and pointed at a disco ball that's installed in the ceiling. Nice. Rebecca's tall, rail thin with sinewy muscles wrapped around her bones. She's dressed all in black with tattered cargo sweatpants and a ripped tank top. A high ponytail dangles down her back. She crosses her small apartment to a pot simmering on the stove. I made borscht last night in the middle of the night. Take a look. Come on, it's it's the direct blood transfusion, and it has <laughs> Spanish smoked paprikas. Well, let's let's. Uh, do you want to sit down? And Rebecca doesn't own a couch, so we sit on a futon, and she pulls out an oversized brown leather folder. What is this? It's his portfolio. This is Billy's portfolio. Yes. Oh shit. Should I open it? You want to open it? You can open it. Oh my god. This is Billy's resume. This is William Heitzman, and then there's his phone number. He was William Heitzman on paper, but around town, he was just Billy Balls. He played in CBGBs a lot, and Max's. That's Billy. Wow. He played rock and roll piano, sang like a motherfucker, and he dressed the part. Guy wasn't a big fan of wearing shirts, huh? No, that's his stage image he wears. Just skin. Okay, look how hot he is. He's so fucking sexy. Ugh. So this is a picture of Billy... Uh, with his, with his hands hand. in his pants. I don't know what he's doing. Scratching his balls, no doubt. He's got a cigarette <laughs> hanging out of his mouth. Oh, God. I, I can't even point his photograph. It's sacrilegious. Okay, look at him. Oh, he's so hot. Another photo. This time, Billy's joined by a bleached blonde who carries herself like Grace Jones, statuesque and glamorous. That's me scratching the bottom of my nose. (laughs) And that... (laughs) That's my ass. Uh That's my ass. In this a is that photo shoot of you guys together, you and Billy together. You, you know. guys look great. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? You look delirious happy in this picture. Yeah. Oh. Oh my, I gotta tell the story now. Yeah, I came here when I was 16. Rebecca's story begins with her driving clear across the country toward the big city lights of Broadway. As a teenager, it was just like a a little, very attuned antenna, a little wild animal with just an instinct that I got to go.
coming around 40th Street and 10th Avenue where you take the curve from the Greyhound bus station with, and you see the curtains. Everybody has their windows open, you know. Coming in in the thickest, stickiest, sweatiest part of the summer is the height of Hell's Kitchen. You can hear all the music coming out and the music is plumped and voluptuous by the wet humidity in the air and the sound is in the air but it's hanging in the voluptuousness of the sticky humidity and the stickiness and the sweat. Those hot skinny men with their A-shirts leaning out the window with their anemia and their black beard, you know, like, oh my god. Shouting some shit to bring up the fucking bread or whatever. Shouting down at your wife, you stupid idiot, or throwing the flower pot out the window to clunk some jerk on a head. People swag walking down the street. They'll kill you and they're on fire. They're angry about some shit. And then there's the little preteen prostitutes and gay prostitutes. And on the sidewalk, the black dudes have like tent, maybe three feet high for turning tricks. And that inside the tent is mattresses where they're going in and charging people money to go and fuck or get a blow job. It's undeniable, it's all part of each other. The sounds, the whistling up, the shouting down, the anger, the sex, the emotions, the sweat. Like all this shit, this, I call it the stew of life. And that's just so refreshing. Were you ever scared? Scared, are you kidding? It was a hair-raising place. Some dude came behind me on 72nd Street and said, I'm going to kill you, you know? And I don't know, you had to watch your back and your shoulder and all that shit. And people would chase you into doors with the intention of raping and stabbing you and robbing you. The whole place was hair-raising. So I just, I, I think I, I might be one of those people that comes alive and definitely danger and romance. I rented a room for $40 uh, a month and it was in a drummer's empty cement loft. It had a box springs on sculpted olive green, really disgusting tacky carpet. <laughs> And that was it, no blankets, no nothing. In the next little abandoned office was a pair, a little teenage pair, a little white girl and a little black boy that were porn workers. And he would wear his bathrobe, you know? <laughs> and that's where, one weekend, a man showed up named Billy Balls. That's after the break. I, I met him one Saturday afternoon. 
It's 1977, and 21-year-old Rebecca is living in New York City. She's about to meet the love of her life, the wild musician, the disruptor, Billy Balls. <laughs> I'm wearing, by the way, black velveteen, zip-up-the-side, torridor pants, kind of capri length, and a red suede kind of 50s jacket with some paint splattered on it and short bleached blonde hair. And uh, the elevator opens as it's becoming early dusk. And off the elevator comes Billy Balls wearing knee pads and black leather roller skates and a black leather jacket and he has a Sicilian anemia, his black hair and pale skin and a little razor stubble on the chest and a pinch of the devil right here on the chin, you know. We take one look at each other and my God, that was fucking it. That's it. It's called love at first sight, like a landslide. Just an overwhelming magnet attraction, like a magnet. And he says to me, do you have a cigarette? And we made our way a couple of floors up to an abandoned garment uh, floor with couches and garment debris. And we got it on within 20 minutes of setting eyes upon each other. And that was it, you know? He was there for a rehearsal with Roy the drummer. And he put a chair in front of his electric piano, which was on a ironing board, you know? And proceeded to play and sing for me. You ain't to leave, baby, just a while. This is Billy. He was so fucking real and so talented. And I was like, my cheeks were like flushing because it was like I'm naked under the spot, like like a embarrassment, the nakedness, the revealingness, you know. And I remember thinking. Oh my God, you know, because I knew with just my instincts that this is a deciding fate for eternity moment of am I going to be with this person or not? And I, I joined him, you know? I'm, I'm with this person for eternity, you see? I have a question about this. What is that? It's a piece of paper. This looks like Billy's handwriting. Oh, this is a song we wrote together in the bed that winter. Can you read it? Yeah. 
Man, it's his handwriting, all right? This is the words to the song we wrote. It goes, hot flashes, hot flashes. It feels more like waves of heat. Uh, uh, the words are hot flashes, hot flashes. Feels more like waves of heat. Up my spine into my head. Hot flashes. What is this song Hot. about? It's a sexually explicit song, totally about orgasmos and the hallucinations during orgasmos because we've got it on five times a day, every single day. Modus operandi. I gained 40 pounds in one month from that period of holding up in the bed and only eating olive oil and the black Jewish Ukrainian bread from the bakery on the corner right there and basically never leaving the bed. Eventually, Rebecca and Billy got their own place, a converted storefront under a flop house called the Valencia Hotel, 13 Third Avenue. It was pretty modernistic at 13 Third Avenue. You know, you had no heat, you had no water, all that, no kitchen. But he fixed it up. He put sheetrock on the walls and five layers of soundproofing on the floor. And, and the soundproofing was for the, because the rehearsal studio is underneath in the cellar. So it was loud anyway. <laughs> and the captain's bed near the back with a little bar refrigerator and a hot plate made a nice bathtub for me and made me a nice makeup mirror with big light bulbs. He drilled the holes to put the sockets. He made me a beautiful makeup mirror with sliding glass doors. But uh, You can tell she gets lost in memories of this place, a pauper's palace that Billy built just for her. Yeah, there's pictures right there, the house. Yeah, there's a picture in there. Don't you see it? It's a Polaroid in color. Come on. In this photo of Rebecca and Billy in their storefront, sheetrock covers the walls. A single abstract painting hangs above their bed, and Rebecca has a very particular look. No eyebrows at all. Eyebrows painted on. Oh, Billy was showing me how to do my eyebrows to flatter my features. <laughs> it sounds like Billy showed you a lot of stuff. Sure, yeah. In their new home, Billy pushed Rebecca to chase her dreams of a life in show business. He is a master showman, and I was going to be a fashion model and then an actress. I knew that when I was a kid. And all the things that you're talking about have to do with some form of show business, like for photography, the eyebrows, or, you know, the singing. This is gonna pick that beep up. He taught me his tech, the technique to learn to sing, you know, correctly. 
Rebecca found her person. There was no one else on earth for either of them, and they knew it. He was Billy Balls, and she was his baby girl. Like, when you and Billy were alone, like... Oh, we were alone a lot. He made a point of it. He would lock the door, and we would be alone. What would you do? Well, then what? We were in love. What do you think we did? The bed was the heart of the home, you know? He had a TV, and we would watch 1940s Hollywood movies from the bed all night, sometimes in between being in love. And uh, we would just talk. When I've been around birds, you see. Why? Because all my life when I was growing up, my brother had birds always. And you have a tape of one of those intimate conversations. Oh, really? Mostly harmless little birds, all of them. Right? Where did he keep all I those birds? Huh? <laughs> Where did he? Where did he? In an aviary. <laughs> Isn't that pronounced? <laughs> aviary? <laughs> I don't know, maybe I've been saying it wrong all my life. Where was that? Avery? Yeah. <laughs> In our backyard, wherever we was. You mean he'd cover it with glass or something? Yeah? And the wire in the summer. It sounds like he's Rebecca and Billy were together for years. Five years. Common law changed from seven to five, and we legally fell into the common law married category, even though he proposed to me. Wait, can you tell me that story when he yeah, proposed what? to you? When did that happen? It's this baby girl, do you want to get married? If you want to have a baby, whatever you want to do. And I says, when you make your first million dollars. After the break, the day that changed everything. First of all, it was 1982, right? Uh Uh-huh. And it was the summertime. Any idea of the month? Yeah, like May, June. You don't know the day? I've blocked it out. Do you believe that? My mind just blocked it the fuck out. And uh, I was visiting Jade that evening. Rebecca remembers that in the early summer of 1982, she was visiting a friend on 72nd Street and that she walked back almost four miles to the home she shared with Billy. And I come up to the storefront on 13th Third Avenue where we lived and there's orange the orange tape all over and somehow it's open as if a window is broken or something like that because it was all open there's like 12 or 13 overcoated dicks rummaging around in my house by overcoated dicks 
She means the police. You could see them milling around in our house and tossing shit and turning shit upside down. You know, our furniture, all our things, all our things is really, every little thing is a very special thing, you know? And uh, I went to Red on the corner, the newsstand, the gay dude with the glasses and the red hair with the cut off sleeve jeans jacket. And I says, what the fuck is going on? And he says, something happened and there, someone was shot. And I went in there and I crossed the tape and they says, you can't come in here. And I says, this is my house. I need to change my shoes. They says, you can't come in here. I felt like I was so fucked up. I didn't know what was going on. And I went around the corner in our car, his car, the 4950 Mercury, and there was men crawling around in there. There were undercover dicks. And I says, I ran down the street. I said, get the fuck out of my car. And they says, William Heitzman shot, shot five times. And he's in such and such hospital. And I ran from one hospital to the next. I was on warrior mode, you know? In high warrior mode. I was really on a war path to get to Billy and find out what the fuck was going on, you know? In the next chapter of The Ballad of Billy Balls, Rebecca says goodbye to the love of her life and goes looking for answers. Crime Town is Zach Stewart-Pontier and Mark Smerlin. The Ballad of Billy Balls is hosted by me, I.O. Tillett-Wright, and made in partnership with Cadence 13. The show is produced by me, Kevin Shepard, and Ryan Swikert. Our senior producer is Austin Mitchell. Editing by Zach Stewart-Pontier and Mark Smerling. Fact-checking by Jennifer Blackman. This episode was mixed by Sam Baer. Sound design by Ryan Swikert and Sam Baer. Music by Kenny Kusiak. Our title track is Dark Allies by Light Asylum. Archival research by Brennan Reese. If you want to know more about my story, you can pick up my memoir, Darling Days, or find me on the internet. I'm Io Loves You Everywhere. Thanks to Drew Nellis, Jesse Rudoy, Ula Culpa, Jamie Raisin, Wade Slitkin, Daniela Araya, Rachel Lee Wright, Emily Wiedemann, Green Card Pictures, Alex Weinberg, Alessandro Santoro, Bill Clegg, Shannon Funches, and Bruno Coviello 
Ben Davis, Oren Rosenbaum, and the team at Cadence 13. And of course, Rebecca, without whom none of this would be possible. <laughs>